Hola! You are listening to the Life in Paradise podcast with me, your host, Brandon Harper. Here we are, two weeks later. My apologize. It's just been kind of busy. It's been busy at work. It's been busy at the brewery. It's just been busy. But you didn't come here to listen to me talk about how busy I've been. That's not what you paid for. Hopefully you came here to hear some of my thoughts and opinions about what's happening in the world. For those of you who don't know me, I'm just a regular dude with a regular job, and I have tons of opinions. So I come here about every week or two to get them off my chest and put them onto your back. I'm a firm believer that the world revolves around varying opinions, and without them, it would be a boring place. I'm also a firm believer that you should stand firm on your opinions and share them and express them with respect to those who are different. Today is Sunday, April 18th, 2021, and I appreciate you listening. So sit back, relax, and hand the TV clicker to me for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. I know, I know, these two-week delays are getting far too frequent. My apologies, but I guarantee you, you're going to get your money's worth today. I've got a few things to talk about. Most of them are pretty serious. A lot going on in the world right now. And, uh, yeah, I've been collecting my thoughts as they go by and keeping track of them in my my phone. And now it's time to to talk about them. So, um, the first thing I want to touch on is the, the case about the cop whose last name is Chauvin, I believe, how you say it? The guy who was on top of George Floyd and was, is on trial for, uh, for killing him. So the, the biggest problem I have or the biggest thing that bothers me about this whole situation um, is, is people running around saying whether or not the guy's guilty. It doesn't matter which side you believe or which side you're on or whether you're racist or misogynist or something else-ist. You know, we have this thing called the Sixth Amendment. It guarantees us the right to a, a fair and speedy trial. And so even though we think we know what's happening, we see the video, we see the video of the cop on his back, and we see the people screaming, we see the guy die, and I agree, it is terribly sad. But that doesn't mean that, that the cop is guilty. Like, there are so many other things that go into guilty or not guilty. And people that see the video and they just say, oh, he's guilty, they hang the son of a bitch, he's a scumbag. You can tell from the video he was guilty. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. I'm not willing to look at that video and say, yes, he's guilty. And if, if we're going to get super technical about things, what exactly are we arguing that he's guilty of? Because the general public doesn't understand, and, and I would put myself in this group as well, the general public doesn't understand guilty of what? Okay, there's like six different types of murder charges. There's like three or four different types of manslaughter. And all of them differ based on motivations, how it all went down, reactivity. And so in order to determine guilt of a charge, 
we have to examine all the intricacies of these charges, okay? I think so far the trial's been going on for like two or three weeks and there's still no answer. So if it was as simple as putting in a video that's like nine minutes long and watching it and then giving him the thumbs up or thumbs down like the Romans did, we wouldn't have the Sixth Amendment. And so let's just say that we say, okay, but if it's on video and you can see it, then you don't get the Sixth Amendment. Well, it goes back to the, what are you being charged for? It, and, and think about it from the other perspective. Let's just say that you were a cop and you were on duty and you had no intentions of killing this guy and you were kneeling on him and he died and you realized you did the wrong thing. Is that the same thing as plotting out the murder of your wife's boss who she's been cheating with? Is that the same as smacking someone upside the head who has different skin color and calling them a racist name and watching him die? I mean, there's... There's different charges for different murders and there's different crimes. And in order to guarantee someone a fair trial, we have to let them speak. We have to go through the whole process, even though we don't like it, even though it bothers us. Because one day we might be the person who's on the other side of that. And you wouldn't want to be, you know, given the thumbs down, sentenced to death based on some eight minute video when there could quite possibly be a video that's either before or after that or wasn't released to the public or a different uh, transcript or dialogue from the radio. I mean, there's so many other things we have to take into consideration, and it really bothers me that the, the public doesn't see this. Motivations for a crime are one of the big determining factors. Why did you do this? Why did it happen? And in order to figure that out, we have to give it time. We have to go through the process. I'm still not willing to say. I haven't been willing to say since the second I saw the video. And I've had a bunch of friends get mad at me and call me a racist and tell me I'm an idiot and tell me that I support scumbags. And I say, you know what? Every scumbag has a right to a trial. That's what we said when we put the Sixth Amendment in place. Now, if we want to go through the process and we want to take away the Sixth Amendment, I don't want to live here, but that's the argument we need to have. We need to grant the right to a fair trial to everyone. Even if there's a video of someone killing someone and it's on video and he says, yes, I killed him. If they want a trial, they should still get it. I don't know if you can even, I don't know if you can waive your rights to a trial or not. Maybe, maybe some people could just request a death penalty. And in that case, then sure, line them up and shoot them. But other than that, you don't just charge and convict and sentence someone based on a nine-minute video. I mean, imagine to, to watch two two rounds of a boxing match and declare the winner, you know, or or the first quarter of a football game and say, yeah, they're gonna, they won. Just give them the, just give them the medal. They already won. It's over with. I can tell they dominate them so much in the first quarter that we can just give them the trophy and move on down the road. No, we don't. We don't do things like that. What we should really hope for is for a fair and accurate trial. And although we can hope for him getting found guilty, you know, if we think we've seen enough evidence and we're not on the jury, we're not on the trial, we can sit there and hope that he gets found guilty and that he gets the lethal injection or shot in the head or, or whatever it is that we want. We can hope that. But before that, we should hope for a fair trial. Because in my opinion, the only thing I want is for the truth to come out. That's it. That's what a, that's what a trial is for. I'm not saying that I want the truth to come out and him to be innocent or guilty for that matter. I'm just saying like it would it would solve a lot of our problems with one another or within the media if we would if we could just trust that it would be a fair trial. And I agree that the court system is not fair. It's not always fair. But I also think that it's the most fair system in the world. So what do you do? You you can try to improve it, that's fine. But I guarantee you in Iraq, they're not looking to improve their court system. They're not looking to make sure you have a fair trial. 
They do things like convicting someone based on an eight-minute video. This is what they do in the Middle East, in third-world countries, places like the, the ghettos of Brazil. You know, this is not what we do in America. And it frustrates me that people don't understand that. And going back to the, the O.J. Simpson case, I mean, it's funny. Everyone agrees that he did it. Like, we all speculate that we think he did it. But the court says no, and so he goes free. And so you have some groups of people who are happy that, that it looks like he was guilty and he got away. And you have other groups of people that are upset that it looked like he did it and he got away. I just think that unless you're on the jury and you hear every moment of that trial, you really don't have a right to say. You can speculate. You can, you can say what you think it might be. But I don't think we should put ourselves in a position to hope that someone is found guilty because we saw an eight-minute video. And furthermore, we should be cautious about assigning motivations from an eight-minute video. So, like, there's people out there that say, oh, of course he was racist. He kneeled on him and then the guy died. Like, really? You're going to assume all that from an eight-minute video? Oh, well, he got in trouble uh, a while back because he said something racist. Okay, so you're willing, to, you're willing to end this man's career and his life and everything based on that? I mean, maybe you are. I guarantee you I wouldn't want to be on the defense end of your court system. And that's all I'm going to say about that. It's funny. I've got a, a cop friend of mine. I got a couple of buddies that are cops, but one of them I talk to pretty frequently. And um, he was just telling me that how hard it is to do his job these days and that they have so many rules and regulations and restrictions on what they're allowed to do. You know, they're not allowed to bust into houses when they're searching for uh, criminals on the run. And he sees criminals just getting released. Like he'll book someone, take them in, and they get released immediately. And then he'll arrest them the next day. And he said that ever since uh, pretty much COVID, things have just gone crazy. Crime's gone through the roof. I think he said that in Houston, uh, violent crimes are up 44% over last year. And it, it's because these police departments are basically handcuffing their officers because of what the media does whenever something goes wrong. If a black guy gets put in handcuffs, then the whole world loses its mind and everyone claims racism. And, and Al Sharpton comes out, and it's just, I don't understand how we got to this point of being able to be the judge, jury, and executioner, and how we're so quick to label somebody a racist. I mean, I'm not going to break down the statistics that uh, my buddy gave me, but, but it's like I always say, st uh, racism is something that, that has to be solved on a personal level. It takes every individual to speak up whenever they see racism and, and confront the situation one-on-one, -on -one, in person, when you're seeing it, because marching around saying that everyone's racist does nothing but piss people off at each other. And, and I would like to think that when I see, and I'm not, not when I would like to think, I know for sure. If I ever see racism, I will jump in, I'll say something and say, hey, 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 you know, stop, call the time out, explain that it's not welcome, whatever you need to do. But I think this whole woke culture is more about making the, the presentation in order to gain credit for yourself instead of actually standing up for people. Because if you were actually standing up for people, you would confront the persecutors in person when things were happening. How many people do you know that would speak up and would say something and would be willing to risk confrontation? Probably not many. But they would go to a rally and hold a sign and say Black Lives Matter. And once again, I'm a big fan of putting your money where your mouth is. Stop going around demanding that we're all treated fairly, but then when you see something with your own eyes, 
not speaking up about it. I don't know how I got down that rabbit hole, but I'm back out now. I was originally talking about my buddy who's a police officer, and I wanted to specifically bring up a couple of points to illustrate how much control uh, the government or, or, or how much they were able to shape our behavior. And, and through the pandemic, the requiring of the masks, the mandates, and whatnot. And so it really jumped out to me when we were talking the other day, and he said, you wouldn't believe it, man. He goes, I'll pull over a guy riding a motorcycle with no helmet on, speeding. Pull him over, no helmet, but he's wearing a mask. And I'm thinking, this is him saying to me, I'm thinking, bro, you're out here risking your head to get smashed against the concrete, but you're wearing a mask? And I just laughed. I thought, yeah, you know what? That's right. Like, there is no common sense. There is no thinking. There's no questioning. It's just do as you're told to do and nothing will happen to you. It's the same way the Spanish conquered all of Central and South America. I know, I know you're saying, oh, Brandon, you're being so extreme. No one's trying to conquer us. And I know I agree with that. I'm just using an analogy that as long as you do what you're told and what we tell you to do, you won't have problems. Another example. He said he walked into a drug house, a trap house, and there was a heroin guy who's strung out on heroin, needle fresh out of his arm, enjoying his heroin high with a mask on. And you know what? People probably don't even think of this. But he looked at the guy and he goes, bro, you just shot drugs into your arm and you're worried about the coronavirus? This is the problem. We don't think. We just act. Where I live here in Corpus Christi, 400,000 people, everyone has had the option to have the shot. From what I've heard, from everyone I've talked to, every single person has had access to it if they wanted it. There's still people walking around with masks on. I was at Sam's yesterday. You see, I haven't been to Sam's for about four months, mainly because I can't deal with the people that just wander around like zombies that have no cognizance of where they are or where their basket is or whose way they're in or what they're blocking. I just, I cannot deal with them. So I don't go in there. I order everything online to be picked up. In one shot, I pull up, I send them a message on my phone. They come out, I've got everything in my truck and I'm out of there. But I went in there yesterday to get some stuff for the brewery and like 95% of the people still walking around with masks on. And I'm thinking like, what is it? What are these people waiting for? Because if they were looking at the statistics, they could see that we're only having like 30 new cases a day. And I, they could see that, that everyone's had the shot who wants it. And I think that they're waiting for someone to tell them, okay, it's safe now, you can come out. And that it bothers me to think that the society, you know, I've, I've always known that there's a small group of people who just relied on the government and waited for someone in charge to make decisions. I, I, I get that. I thought there was a small group. What's blown me out of the water is how big that group is. And, and maybe it's just where I live, you know? Maybe if I went to, to Timbuktu, where there's a bunch of country people who fend for themselves and don't rely on anybody, maybe it would be different. I don't know. But it's been eye-opening to see. I mean, people still come in the brewery. We, we, we haven't had a sign on the door, a mask sign, in four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. And it's just like they come in like robots. They come in, the mask on, they order, they sit down, they take the mask off. And it just blows my mind that anyone who understands like anything would say, this is a waste. This is all a waste. But they just want to feel. We want them just to feel comfortable. We want everyone to feel comfortable. You know what? I'm glad. I'm glad that uh, 
that COVID doesn't go downward and and we get required to wear stilts. Because, I mean, what if we just wore stilts and then we were up higher and then the COVID wouldn't go up high? Well, there's lots of people who can't walk around in stilts. Well, that's their own fault. There's also lots of people who don't like masks. I just, I don't know. It's It's been the most interesting public observance of my life. And if you don't feel the same way, that's fine. I would to li- I would just like to know what, what has superseded it. And if you're the kind of person who says, well, I don't know, I don't really, I don't really pay attention to what's going on around me. You probably tuned out of this podcast a long time ago anyway. Risk assessment is something that a lot of people, I don't know if they're not willing to do it or they're not capable of doing it or they just don't want to do it. But assessing risk is something that's highly valuable. And I think this is why a lot of these entrepreneurs that have been so against the mandates and so against the shutdowns is that they do have the ability to assess risk. The guy who works for the government agency or the lady who works at the library, they don't. They don't assess risk. They don't do it on a daily basis. Their livelihood doesn't depend on it. Whereas these entrepreneurs, these people who work for themselves, it does. Every day they're looking at risk and they're making a decision based on different types of risk. But as I was thinking about all this, I thought, you know, I think that the average person who's not an entrepreneur or doesn't have the mindset of someone who's competitive in the business marketplace, I think that they there's a big misunderstanding about entrepreneurs and, and how, and I'm going to lump myself into the entrepreneur group because I've mainly worked for myself, but I think a lot of people don't understand what drives us, what motivates us, what keeps us going, and what it boils down to is usually one of two things. Either it's a passion or a competition. And so I know a lot of people think like, oh, entrepreneurs, they're just greedy greedy people. They're just hungry for money and power. And while, yes, those people are out there, there are the Donald Trumps of the world, that, that money, power is what drives them. But for the most part, all these small businesses around you, and when I say small, I'm talking, uh, it's going to sound like a lot, but $50 million of revenue or less per year is, you know, is, is generally what I consider a small company. And and so even those bigger, what you would call small companies, those guys who run those companies, they work long hours. They're, they're stressed to the max. They're always running on razor margins right there on the edge. Because if you don't, if you don't push things to the max, you won't you won't be able to keep up with your competition. And so, like for me personally, when I'm when I'm looking at a business that I'm operating or that, that I'm running, my goal is to beat the competition. That's it. Like that's that's the goal, and that's that's my expression outlet for my competitive nature is through business. Because hey, I mean, I remember one time at A and M, it was a 400 person economic class, and the teacher was like, you know, all you have to do is beat the curve. You just got to do better than the person sitting next to you. And that really stuck out with me. It, it made me realize that like, all you have to do is be better than your competition. And that's, that's it. That should be your goal. And money will come. People will get paid. Everything will happen like it's supposed to. But if you focus on like how much money you can take from the company and put in your pocket, you won't make it very long. If you're focused on how little time you can spend running your business, you will not make it long. You have to be willing to work. 16, 18 hours a day for less money. And then eventually one day, if you keep pushing and you stay persistent and you keep taking on the debt you need to take and making the sacrifices, you you might come out ahead. 
or you might not. You know, I'm sure there's guys who that buy small businesses and they run their small business and the entire life of the business, they're struggling, but they do it because they're passionate about it. My whole point about this whole thing about small businesses is to think of it from a, from a small business owner's perspective. They're either passionate about what they're doing and they're willing to work for less money after contributing more hours and taking on higher risk. Because I tell you what, I could go, I could go work for someone tomorrow and probably make four or five times what I'm making right now. I'm not kidding. I probably could. But I see the long term. I enjoy the fact that I get to control what I do every day. And I have faith that I will make the right decisions. I have faith that in the long run, it's worth it for me to not go work for somewhere else. Because I think that it may or may not pay off financially to, to do what I'm doing now. But I enjoy the competition. I enjoy the creativity. I love to be able to write my own destiny. I love to be able to provide jobs for other people that makes me feel good so that's worth money it's worth it's worth more than just a paycheck to me and I think that's what a lot of people fail to understand about entrepreneurs is that we're not just in this for the money because if we were a lot of us would not be here all right moving right along uh let's see here in a second I'm going to talk about your president Biden a little bit not a lot just a little bit but before then I want to touch on a topic called the gun show loophole and I know that it's, this is a buzzword that everyone's been hearing and talking about. The media loves to talk about it. I even heard uh, Slurry Biden, you know, sitting sitting at his desk, reading off of the screen that they have mounted to the desk, talking about ending the gun show loophole. And right when I heard him speak, I realized he doesn't know. He doesn't know what he's talking about. There is really no such thing as a gun show loophole. It doesn't exist. It's all a farce. And he knows so little that he doesn't even know what he's saying. He's wanting to change the law and make policy that does not exist. Okay? So there's a guy that works for us, typically left-leaning in all of his policy views. And so I asked him, I said, hey, tell me what you know about this gun show loophole. He goes, huh, yeah, where you could just uh, you could just walk into a, a gun show and just buy a gun without a license. And I go, yeah? You ever been to a gun show? He goes, yeah, I have. And I said, you ever bought a gun? He goes, no. And I said, well, if you had, you would know that you would have gotten a background check. In fact, Kale, my business partner, and I were at a gun show one time, and he tried to buy a gun, but they wouldn't sell it to him because he failed the background check. It was something measly like his driver's license was not in state or something like that. But either way, there's no, there's nothing, there's no law, there's no loophole. What, what people think is that you can walk into the George R. Brown Convention Center, whenever they have a gun show, and they think you can just walk in there and buy a gun from a gun dealer without a background check. That is entirely untrue. It's not true at all. I've bought lots of guns from gun shows, and your background gets checked every single time. If you have a federal firearms license, a license from the federal government to sell guns, you must conduct background checks. This is nothing new. This has been happening for a long time. What people are confused about is that I, me, Brandon Harper, with no license, with no federal firearms license, could walk into a gun show with my grandfather's 30 6 that he left to me, and I could sell it to another individual, and that transaction doesn't have to be recorded, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be background checked. It can just happen. The thing is, that has nothing to do with gun shows. I could go knock on my neighbor's door, sell them the same gun under the same parameters for the same price, 
just as easily as I could go do it at a gun show. And I even think that in order to have a table at a gun show, in order to set up and sell guns, you must have a federal firearms license. So the only way that an, a gun can trade hands at a gun show is if two citizens who carried in their guns sell them between each other. That same thing could happen at any Starbucks or any McDonald's. Maybe we should call it the McDonald's loophole or the Starbucks loophole. Did you guys know that you can buy guns at Starbucks without background checks? Hey, that's an idea. I might see if I can make that go viral. So whenever Joe wakes up from his afternoon nap, somebody needs to tell that dude after he's done with his applesauce that the gun show loophole doesn't exist. It was never a thing. It was all a bad dream, Joey. Just go back to sleep. Someone asked me uh, earlier, they texted me, what, what, what can be done about these mass shootings? And, you know, I think I've probably talked about it before. The only thing that can be done is to manage it on an individual level. For parents to take extra strong precautions trying to figure out whether their kids are safe, what they're feeling, what they're going through. I think there's been a big turn in the way that parents neglect their children. They shove them in the room, they let them play video games, and they just let it, let it manifest, whatever it is that's bothering them. And another thing that I think is the media could stop covering it. If the media never announced a mass shooting, I mean, what, what good does it really do other than sell clicks and makes the media tons of money and it pisses off the entire country? We all get mad because we all have one feeling or the other about a mass shooting. And we're, every time that we're getting worked up and we're arguing about it and we're fighting with each other, the only person that's winning is the media, possibly the federal government. But I just think that, like, I don't, I don't go around talking about, oh, did you hear about the shooting? Did you hear about, did you hear about the uh, shooting? A guy shot 13. No, I don't because it doesn't do any good. You're either going to sit there and you're going to high-five each other and you're going to wave your pom-poms. You're going to say, yeah, we're on the same team. Go gun rights. Or we're going to argue with each other and we're going to say, gun control doesn't help it. Gun control doesn't stop it. And the other person is going to say, well, we have to do something. And this is, it's this never-ending argument. And the only people who wins are the media. That's not to say it's not tragic. I'm not saying that it's not sad. Even if it is sad and it is tragic, what, what does the rest of the world need to know? I mean, we all know there's a, there's a problem with mass shootings. At least we think we, we do. Most people couldn't tell you any statistics. They couldn't tell you how many people were killed. They couldn't tell you the number of people that were killed in mass shootings compared to the number of people who were killed in drug-related activity. They couldn't tell you the difference. They just know that mass shootings are bad. And hey, I agree, they are bad. But we don't need to keep talking about them. We don't, we don't need to figure out who to blame and figure out what, what tools we can take away to make them stop. It, most of the problems in our country would be non-existent if people raise their kids right. That's it. Raise your kids right. Don't let the cops teach them the law. You teach them the law. Don't let them think the cops are enemy. Teach them the cops their friends. Teach them to respect the police. Teach them to comply with what the police tell you to do, even if you don't understand. Okay, they're not, the cops aren't going to tell you to jump off a cliff. The cops aren't going to tell you to go jump in the water. They're going to tell you to turn around, put your hands on your head, put your hands in the car, get down on your knees. Do it. If you do that, you're not going to get shot. But parents, it seems to me like there's less and less parenting that's taking place. So as long as that happens, then the more and more X or Y or fill in the blank that we're going to see. Okay, I said I was going to talk about Biden a little bit. I, it's, it's really hard for me to, to go full, uh, a full podcast without complimenting our wonderful and sharp 
an assertive and dominant president. You know, when he walks into a room, you just know it. You feel his presence. You feel his power. You know, I think all that's a lie. That's all a lie about Joe Biden. All the things that we should ask for in a president do not exist. Do not exist in that man. Oh, but he's, he's empathetic. Why do we want empathy in a president? Why are we, why, why are we making policy on empathy? Or what, what's the reason that empathy is good? I don't know. No one can tell me that. Okay, either way, he, in all of his infinite wisdom, he has recently come out and said <laughs> that he is going to get involved in the chip shortage and the microprocessor shortage, and the government will figure out how to satisfy the demand for all these companies who are stuck in their production process because they don't have the microchips they need to proceed. And I heard that, and I just laughed and laughed and laughed. I mean, this dude really thinks that the federal government can get involved and more efficiently allocate limited resources than the private sector. That is comical. But you know what? The thing is, I feel sorry for the people who don't understand the difference. And they really think that, oh, well, he's a man of power and he can make things happen. And, um, you know, just because he's the president, you know, he can, he can direct people and tell them what to do. That's preposterous. The government can't even build a website. They can't even come close to managing our health care. Have you ever dealt with the Texas Workforce Commission? Have you ever tried to navigate their website? They've got about 15 different places to log in, and they're all different departments. I'm talking about departments within departments of the Texas Workforce Commission, and nobody knows what goes on in the other department. They can't even pick up the phone and call them. There's no direct transfer. Needless to say, letting the government resolve shortages is hilarious. It's a stand-up comedy act. Now, a lot of people may not be exactly sure what I'm talking about with these chip shortages. So I'm going to break it down. I'm going to talk about where we're at in terms of shortages and inflation and kind of give you the global perspective of, of the two schools of thought that are going on right now. So as we all know, during COVID, the production of everything was, was jiggered around. It was moved, right? Some stuff sped up, some stuff slowed down, uh, some stuff didn't change. But for the most part, you know, you think about things like food and, and meat and how it, all the, the products had to shift from being supplied at the consumer level for, from restaurants versus grocery stores. And so while that sounds like a simple process, it's pretty complicated, because whenever food leaves the farm, it goes one of two routes. It either goes to the wholesale route or it goes the retail route. It either goes in line for being used in food service, which makes its way to restaurants, or it goes to somewhere that makes its way into grocery stores. And so that starts the minute the fruit or vegetable or whatever leaves the farm. And so we had COVID, so we had this big shift of demand from one to the other. And you think about how many steps it is between the farm and the grocery store and the farm and the restaurant. There's a lot of hands that touch the product between the two places. So trying to shift where all those products go when everyone instantly changes their behaviors could cause a cluster, you know what? And it did. And right about the time we sorted through it and right about the time we got it all figured out, oh, we're gonna open things up. 
We're going to let people go back to restaurants as long as they wear masks when they're standing up because you can't get COVID if you're sitting down. We're just going to change all this. And then we're going to close it back up. And then we're going to open it up. And we're going to change all this. And, and the people that are making these policy decisions are not thinking about the issues that are going to happen coming down the supply chain. So this has happened in almost every industry. And so what, it's, what this is causing, remember, when there's a shortage of something, it's going to drive the price up. Why is that? Because let's just say that Billy's Barbecue, they need to buy briskets because they serve briskets and they serve X number of briskets per day. And if they can't find the briskets they need for $3.28 a pound, then they go look and they say, okay, who will sell it for $3.58 a pound? Who will sell it for $3.59 a pound? Who will sell it for $4 a pound? And then that, that drives up the price. So this is where we're at. We're at the brink of trying to figure out if this inflation, these these prices that are going up, you've heard about it. You've heard about lumber. You've heard about the, the microprocessing chips. Uh, you've heard about beef prices. You've heard about all this stuff. And so is that stuff going to be here to stay? And and, and another thing uh, is stimulus money. This this has caused people to have extra money to be able to, to bid up the prices and to pay more for whatever inputs they need in order to satisfy the demand from their consumers. So the big argument is whether or not the the price increases are here to stay. So the, the Fed, the Federal Reserve, they're saying that the price changes are what they call transitory, which means we're just, we're just in transit from one style of operating, which means the COVID style, uh, and to another style of operating, the non-COVID style. Now, if we could do this all over again, what I would have done if I was if I was king of the U.S. is I would have gone through and I would have selected the most skillful, proven supply chain management firms in the country, and I would have gone to them and I would have said, "Okay, guys, uh, here's what we're up against. What can we do?" And they probably would have made recommendations. Well, let's just recommend that people only eat out this many times per week or people only buy this much food, or they only do that, and, and not make it a requirement, but then present it to the public and say, look guys, here's what we're up against. The, the reason things are all over the place right now is because we just ran back and we're, and we're acting like consumers, but we're not taking into consideration the effects this is going to have on our supply chains. So if we want this to operate like normal, here's the recommendations that we're giving. You don't have to follow them, you don't have to do them, I wish this is kind of how they would have handled the mask too. Here's what we think. It will have this effect. We've seen this change. It's have this percentage effect of this. Here's what we're figuring out. We suggest that you do it. Those who want to, great. Those who don't, great. You write your own destiny. If too many of you don't want to follow the rules and you're willing to pay the inflation, then go for it. Do whatever you want to do. But in order to avoid this from happening, here's the guidelines that we think will work. That's the way I would have done it. What is Joe Biden doing? Joe Biden is going to go to these chip manufacturers and he's going to tell them what they need to do <laughs> in order to get caught up on their chip production. And so right now, you've got all these car companies who are like, hey, we need chips, we need processors, we need them. And the chip makers are saying, well, you know, you, you stop production when you stop making cars because no one was buying cars. So we stopped our production because we didn't want to produce a bunch. Now, all of a sudden, you're wanting them. Well, it's going to take, you know, remember before COVID, it took you 16 weeks to get your chips. Well, now it's going to take that plus some time because you're not the only customer we've got to get chips to. But thank goodness we have Biden.
Here's some of old Joe's speech. This is a critical area where Republicans and Democrats agreed. It was one of the best meetings, the best meeting I think we've had so far, although we've only been here about five weeks. It was like the old days. People actually were on the same page. We were, there were good bipartisan work has already been done. The leaders of this operation, the House and Senate, already did have done great work. And I want to thank them for their leadership. We're here to build on that. The bottom line is simple. The American people should never face shortages in the goods and services they rely on, whether that's their car or the prescription medicines or the food at the local grocery store. And remember, the shortages in PPE during the pandemic, that meant we didn't have masks. They didn't have gowns or gloves to protect our frontline healthcare workers. We heard horror stories of doctors and nurses wearing trash bags over their gown, over their their uh, dress in order to so they wouldn't uh, um, be uh, in trouble. They tell them, Joe, you tell them, buddy. And they were rewashing and reusing their mask over and over again in the OR. That should have never happened. And this will never happen again in the United States, period. We shouldn't have to rely on a foreign country, especially one that doesn't share our interests or our values, in order to protect and provide our people during a national emergency. That's why one of the first executive orders I signed, as some may remember, was to ensure that we're manufacturing more protective equipment for healthcare workers here at home. And today I'm shortly going to be signing another executive order. It'll help address the vulnerabilities in our supply chains across additional critical sectors of our economy so that the American people are prepared to withstand any crisis. Okay, I can't take any more of that. You get the idea. He thinks he's got it all figured out. The guy can't manage his way out of a brown paper sack, and he's going to tell us how to fix any shortages we have? Come on, man. Like, this equation is simple. It's not complex. Let the markets sort it out. They will. It will be fine. You will never become more efficient than the marketplace. I don't know why he understands this. What I mean by that is there's nothing, there's no hand that you can move around to create more for less money. The reason there was a shortage of PPE during the pandemic is because we needed it way more than we ever thought we would. So what's the solution to that, Big Joe? What's the solution? What are we going to have, just warehouses just sitting full of masks waiting for the next pandemic? No, that's not. That's stupid. That's just money tied up in inventory sitting there. Okay, so what's what's the solution, Big Joe? What are you going to do? You're going to have a bunch of extra factories sitting around that aren't running at capacity to produce more masks and gloves when the next pandemic hits? No, that's ridiculous. You don't have manufacturing space that's not being utilized. You have these bumps in the roads and you deal with them. And It just infuriates me that people really think that, that some guy can step in and force companies to be more efficient. Or, or if, if you're force companies to do something and it's less efficient, who's going to pay for that? Who's going to absorb the cost? The government doesn't absorb the cost of anything. They just use the taxpayer dollars to pay for things. You see, you, you know how we produced a vaccine in 10 months time? We didn't, Trump didn't go to them and say, hey guys, you have to stop producing this and, and figure out a vaccine. No, he didn't. He went to them and he, he gave them a blank check and he said, however much you need to make this happen, we will pay you. It's the most important thing you can do right now. 
and we will compensate you for it to motivate you to shift your production away from, from Viagra or whatever to this vaccine that will give everyone enough comfort and peace to return to work. That's really all we needed. We All we needed was some sugar water to get people back to work. Either way, Trump goes to them, throws these guys a bunch of money. They say, sure, we got it. We'll do it, and we'll go forward. So if you want to fix the chip shortage, go to them and give them money. Tell them that they should run triple production. Chances are they're already running wide open. There's not a lot of places in the world that can produce chips. So the few factories that are, are probably running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Oh, man. I don't know how we elected this guy as president. I don't know how he did it. But here we are. So uh, once again, will this inflation stay here? Will the price of everything stay up? Um, I don't know. I, I think we're headed for a, a big bubble bust uh, that will probably get everything back in line. I mean, I just I hear I hear new stuff every day. I listened to a um, a news clip from uh, 1999 or 2000, right before the dot com bubble bursted, and it sounded like it could have been on the news yesterday. You know, it talked about how high the Dow was how much money everyone was making, the overvaluation of all these companies, how that this is a new kind of economy and this is new technology and these bubbles don't burst. And it's just like, this is exactly what we're hearing today. So I don't know. Have you bought your Bitcoin yet? Do you remember when I told you it was 12,000 that you didn't go buy it? I bet you haven't bought any and you probably wish you would have. And now you think it's too late because it's gone up to 60,000. Well, let's just put it to you this way. I'm going to keep buying. Don't worry about the price per unit. It doesn't matter. All that you're worried about is percentage gains. Even if you only buy 0.0000001, start buying it. It it may crash too. And if it does, keep on buying it. There's nothing that should stop you from buying it right now. Price goes up, price goes down, doesn't matter. Keep buying it. Keep buying it. Okay, uh, that's enough ranting. I'm getting ready to hop off here and go do another podcast with my homeboy, Cousin Harry. Um, which is like three weeks behind on posting those. So whenever he gets them up, you can check them out. I do like two to three hours with him. It's basically him and I shooting the bull, talking trash about everyone, uh, basically explaining how the world would be a better place if, if we ran it. Of course, of course, we're joking. We're joking. Um, that's about it. I know this ran long. I know it was serious. I had a bunch of stuff that I wanted to get off my chest. I apologize if it was rambly, but... Here we are. Thanks again for listening. Life in Paradise podcast. Go out there. Be brave. Work hard. Don't trust the government. Don't trust the media. Exchange ideas with people who are different than you. Maybe you can learn something from them too. Keep it tranquilo. I'm living in that 21st century. Doing something mean to it. Do it better than anybody you ever seen. Do it. Screams from the haters. Got a nice ring to it. I guess every superhero need no one man should have all that power The clock's ticking, I just count the hours Stop tripping, I'm tripping off the power The system broken, the school's closed, the prison's open We ain't got nothing to lose, motherfucker, we rolling huh? Motherfucker, we rolling With some light-skinned girls and some Kelly Rollins In this white man world, we the ones chosen So good night, cool world I 
pictures in my mind But couldn't open up my own vault My town like creativity, purity and honesty Is honestly being crowded by these grown thoughts Reality is catching up with me Taking my inner child, I'm fighting for custody With these responsibilities that they entrusted me As I look down at my diamond and crush the peace Thinking no one man should have all that power The clock's ticking, I just count the hours Stop tripping, I'm tripping off the powder Translation with a whole fucking nation They say I was the abomination of Obama's nation Well that's a pretty bad way to start the conversation At the end of the day, god damn it, I'm killing this shit I know damn well y'all feeling this shit I don't need your pussy, bitch, I'm on my own dick I ain't got a power trip, who you going home with? How you doing? I'm surviving, I was drinking earlier Let power go.